Okay, William, team audition had a big night. Staline, it was major. <laughs> big night, huge. New York is opening again. And Bemelman's Bar is open again. With pitchers of ice cold martinis. Pitchers. Pitchers. <laughs> our, our guest on this episode of the audition was there too. Our friend, Robbie Fairchild. I think we should have all our pre-interviews at Bemelman's because pre-interviews at Bemelman's are the best pre-interviews. Pictures of martinis, pigs in a blanket, and deep probing questions about theater, to be clear. Okay, so here's the thing about Robbie Fairchild. His audition for An American in Paris was truly an extraordinary leap. A grand jeté, if you will. Oh, look at you. Grand jeté. <laughs> well, to be clear, Robbie was already at the top of the ballet world. But he really wanted Broadway. Coming up, Robbie Fairchild shares his incredible and tender story of changing his artistic focus and really his entire identity. Please join us for the audition with Robbie Fairchild. So today we are talking to Robbie Fairchild, William. My fave, my obsession. Yes, yours and many's yes. and many others. Robbie, welcome to the audition. Hi, you guys. Hi. Hi. I'm I'm Staline. Oh my God, it's so <laughs> nice to meet you. And this is William. What a pleasure, William. <laughs> pleasure meeting you. You had me with your first rooftop toe tap. I mean, that... You got me through the pandemic. Oh, that means so much. Thank you. You got a lot no, of people through the pandemic. You, you with got your a lot of people through the pandemic. And it was, so Robbie um, and his friend did these rooftop dances during, I mean, like the worst days of the pandemic. When was the first one, Robbie? Was it March I, or? I could look on my phone. Yeah, it was yeah. right when, I mean, dance studios were still open. Things were starting to get really crazy. And what you would see on the news was just so devastating. It was yeah. it was early March, I think. Yeah. And I said, Chris, we need to get into a dance studio. We need to like put out some content on our Instagram that's just light levity joy dance. Because yeah. what we see on the news is just so yeah. scary. Yeah. And funny enough, like we needed it. Yeah. We needed to channel all of that angst into something. And, you know, having a roommate in a small two bedroom apartment during quarantine is difficult. You know, it's hard to live with somebody that you're not romantically involved with. Probably hard to live with someone you are romantically involved <laughs> totally. with quarantine. But we noticed when it would go, when we would go a little bit longer um, from the last time we had danced together, we, you know, we're like, oh my God, we're starting to. Like, we need to go dance again. It was kind of like our bonding thing. It was like the way we got through it together was by being creative and making these things and really brought us closer every time we did it. How did you choreograph those? And how long did it take? I mean, every time they would pop up in my feed, first of all, they always popped up on like the worst day. It really, it was like you had like, some sort of like witch's magic. Well, maybe I'm, um, I'm a little witchy. I'll take that. 
Um, <laughs> and um, just be in our in our in our living room, our small small living room, and we would move the coffee table, and we would just. Uh, we would just start. We would we would pick our favorite song. Well, so the thing was, right before lockdown, the day before lockdown, I had a photo shoot, and he was playing Emily King, and I'd never mm. heard her before. And so I go into the beginning of lockdown just listening to Emily King walking through the park constantly, and I'm like, oh my god, Chris, there is this girl. We need to dance to mm. her music. And so then we would just get in the living room. He would do like a step, then I would do a step, he would do a step, I would do a step. It was like back and forth, back and forth. So it's kind of like a, a real mesh of both mm. of our styles, which was fun for me to get a little more like groovy. Do you know what I mean? It's um, mm -hmm. from the ballet world. You can get, yeah. You know. Yeah, no, I mean, I think people who knew you from City Ballet watched some of those rooftop dances and thought, oh, I, I didn't know he could dance like that. You know, they sort of saw you dancing in a in one kind of way in a certain kind of work and this was to totally different music it it was it was great but so before the rooftop dances before an american in paris there was city ballet and you were a principal there and how did that happen i mean it, when did you come to new york and when did you join the company? What What's that process like? Because you came from Salt Lake, Salt right? Lake. Yeah, so it was funny. So my sister was already an apprentice with the New York City Ballet. Okay, and she Megan. Saw, yeah, Megan, Megan Fairchild. She saw my one of my competition videos and I was doing a jazz dance. And she watched it and she said, you should go to a summer course at the School of American Ballet. It would be like really good for your technique. Even if you don't want to be a a ballet dancer, ballet is the basis for all kinds of dance. If you're better, if you're good at ballet, you'll have mm. better jazz. But at that point, did you think I want to be a professional dancer? Oh, I knew I wanted to, I knew I wanted to be a dancer, but I thought I okay. wanted to go to LA and do like music videos and, okay, uh, or be a song and dance man. Um, I always say my sister got me into dancing, but Gene Kelly is the reason why I wanted to be a dancer. <gasps> Okay. Um, and so I'm like, okay, I guess I'll audition. I mean, I wasn't even wearing tights for this video audition and I got in probably because of my sister. I don't know. And, um, I went and I'll never forget how scared I was. The first day there's this like ice cream social and like all these boys, were eating. they weren't eating ice cream, ice cream social at the city ballet. I love it. They were in, they were in the studio, um, stretching their legs up to their ears. And I was like, I am not this is not my people. This is not my people. Five weeks later, and when the summer course was ending, I was like, I want to be in New York City Ballet. I want to be in New York City Ballet. New York City Ballet is so bad. And so uh, my teacher at the School of American Ballet was like, we really love you. We want you to work a little bit more at home, get a little bit stronger training, and then come back next year and we'll ask you to stay the year. So I was like, okay. So I went home quit my jazz studio, went just ballet, came back the next year, and then they asked me to stay. So my like, my first audition was the for the School of American Ballet summer course. Once you're into the summer course, then you're in a class of about 30 guys. And I was the only, you know, it was only one guy in my studio back home. So you're in a studio with all men, and there's 30 of you. Then about five of you get asked to stay for the year. And so then that second summer course, I got 
I got to stay for the year and then I stayed two years. And my workshop performance at the end of the year is when I found out that I was going to be an apprentice with the New York City Ballet. So it's not like a, an audition per se. You're not wearing like a, a, a number, but it's, it's to showcase what you can do on a stage. So after that, I got into the company. So that's when I was 17. Wow. Wow. And I got into the company when Peter Bull, uh, Jock Soto, Nikolai, um, uh, Damian Witzel, they all had just retired. There was a massive void at the top of the food chain. And Peter Martins was a director at the time, and he wanted to make Romeo and Juliet. And he wanted to make it more true to the story and have it be by the youngest dancers. So I was the youngest corps de ballet member and was I an apprentice? No, I was in the corps. What's, when you're an apprentice, what does that mean? It's basically and you're like sort of what do you then graduate to? It's your trial year okay. with the company. So they don't have to take you at the end of it. But um, if you perform in nine ballets in one season, then they automatically have to give you your corps de ballet contract. So I got my ninth ballet, and it was in Christopher Wheeldon's An American in Paris. Mm. Oh, my God. He did a 20-minute ballet at New York City Ballet. So that was my ninth ballet. And oh, right I mean, that, full circle. Isn't that wow. wild? Isn't that so wild? Yeah. So then I get, I get my quarter ballet contract, and Romeo and Juliet rehearsals start. And there's a huge list of names, like running from senior principals to, like, first year core, which is me. And Peter goes up to all these guys and he goes, you're my Tibbles, you're my Mercutio, you're my Benvolio. And then he looked at the four of us youngsters in the room and said, you guys are my Romeo. Wow. And I lost it. And then he grabs my wrist and walks me to the center and he goes, let's start. So I was like, oh my God, I'm the first cast Romeo. Oh my God. Wow. Did he like, are you sure? Are you sure you got the right person? There's like senior principal dancers that can outdance me. Oh, like no other. And um, yeah, we just started. We started with the first with the first steps, and that was in May. And after the first week of performances, he calls me into his office, and he promotes me to soloist. So I hadn't wow. been. I hadn't been in the court of ballet even a year until he promoted me to soloist. And I said, I haven't even done a tutu ballet. I, I, I haven't even done a George Balanchine ballet, like a principal Balanchine ballet. Like I, how am I supposed to be a soloist? I'm so out of my like element. And he goes, I know there's, there's some steps to go, you know, for some training and we'll, we'll get you there. But like, I want this moment for you. So I was like, Oh my God. So there I am, I think 19 years old, a soloist with the company. And uh, then two years later, I got promoted to principal. It was wild. And I thought to myself, why is this happening so uh, fast? Because you're realized, talented. No, yeah. I realize I'm not, I'm not supposed to spend my whole career here. Well, actually, that that's a good segue. So yeah. looking at your career, so how does this like 19-year-old ballet wonderkin who has soared up the ranks of the New York City Ballet, like at what point do you say to yourself, you know what, being a principal ballerino at the City Ballet is not enough for me. I need to be a Broadway star. What kind of, what were you thinking? Like what, 
did you have a conscious moment where you were like, I need to be on Broadway? I wanted to be on Broadway so bad, um, so badly. And I- Since the like, beginning. When I'm done, yeah, when, I'm, when, I'm, when my ballet body's done, when I don't look good in white tights anymore, like, let's, let's go to Broadway. But so, so we're, doing a, we're doing a gala at New York City Ballet and it's uh, to honor Fred Astaire. And I am tapping in a Valentino tux uh, with a cane, like paying tribute to Fred Astaire. And Christopher Wielden comes up to me. And at this moment, I didn't think he liked my dancing because he never cast me as a principal in one of his ballets. And he comes up to me and he says, can you sing? This is at the dinner, like on the promenade. Can you sing? And I said, well, it depends on who's listening. And he goes, I want you to come and audition for me. I'm working on this project in American in Paris and I'm going to direct and choreograph it. Um, would you be down to meet with the music director and, um, and me and the book writer and audition for us? And I was like, my God, this sounds incredible. But I was like, I was 26. This was the, this, I hadn't even gotten to my golden years at City Ballet. Like 30 to 33 are like prime time for a dancer because your body isn't fading yet, but your artistic uh, wisdom is, mm -hmm. is creeping up, you know? So there was that sweet spot. And I was like, I haven't even gotten to my sweet spot. And, and I was create the role that Gene Kelly made famous. And he's the only other person to have played Jerry Mulligan in the world. Like they hadn't, there hadn't been a stage production of it yet. So I was like, oh my God, to be that close to my idol. So I go into the room in uh, Rob Fisher, Craig Lucas, Christopher Wielden. And I said to Chris, can I just sing to the wall? I can't sing towards your face. Like I'm too nervous. So I sang into a wall. I sang, isn't it a pity? And they all laughed. How does that go, Robbie? Sing us a few, sing us oh. a few lines. It's a funny thing, I look at you, da -da -da -dum, I never knew, isn't it a pity we never met before? Um, then there's, they all laughed, they all laughed at Christopher <laughs> Columbus when he said the world was round, and just terrified, so terrified. And that, I was the first person they saw for the role. God, it was a long, it was a long road because they were like, you, you need work. You, we need to get you an acting coach. We need to get you a singing coach. We're going to do like a boot camp, but the role's not yours. Robbie, so you are determined to get this An American in Paris part, right? You know you can do it. And you are dancing at City Ballet, but while you're doing that, you're also taking acting and singing lessons. What are those like? And and what did you learn from those lessons? Yeah, so I love my acting teacher. She, after, after a week's worth of uh, working with her, she looked at me and she goes, oh, okay, so we, you can do this. I think that she was nervous that I wasn't, Yeah. That, like she, she told me, um, you know, it was meant as a compliment, but she said- um, The surprise. She was like, when, when you first came to me, like you doing a scene was about as interesting as like you reading the dictionary. <laughs> it was like, wow, that is harsh. But what I learned uh, is that, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm 
a master of my body. Like mm-hmm. I understand so much of how how it works as a dancer. And then to to take in acting, it's like the exact opposite placement in the body. Yeah. So all the things that I've trained to do my whole entire life, lift up, be light, fight gravity, was like the enemy to my acting and my singing. It was like you had to completely, she was like, let your belly go. Just completely let it go. You have to get into your pelvis. You have to feel the floor. So I felt like a slob. I felt Mm -hmm. like I was being lazy. But I would notice that my my voice would start to drop down and it would have a better resonance. I felt like I could access my emotions more. Uh, I I found that fascinating to at like 26 be like discovering a completely different way of the body Mm -hmm. to to, uh, train in a whole other way. And what I found really interesting was then to take those things that I'd been learning in the acting classes and singing lessons with the breath support and take that and see how much of it I could bring into the ballet. Mm. Because I feel like ballet can be very unrelatable. Mm. We are trained to defy gravity. And that is very, like, it's not human. It's not, it's not very relatable. So how to, and not... Not just like it's not letting the belly go. It's 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 just embodying like your bones and not trying to fight with your muscle. How I could bring that and how I could make my ballet dancing more authentic, more more human. So it's not the prince in white tights that goes in the back of the corner and and does a B plus and prepares for the variation, but it's like. It's the acknowledging of all the people that you're walking past, why you're about to step into B plus, what you're about to do, what you're about to say to everybody out there. Why am I dancing? Why is this, why is this thing happening now? So it was in like accessing a different part of my body helped me plant myself in space and make sense of a story that, you know, just gets pretty glazed over and all about the variations. Right. It made it, it made it feel like I could really use my dance as storytelling instead of just exercise to music. At the first audition, they have you sing. Do you have to dance or, or Chris Wielden sort of knows you can dance? Yeah. So this wasn't like an official, official audition this okay. was in his living room. Um, okay. So there wasn't space to dance and Chris was like, you're, you're fine. Yeah, so, you're good. <laughs> so they set me up with uh, some great people, and I I trained every every Monday. It was packed with singing and acting classes on top of, like, prepping The Prince and Sleeping Beauty. And it was just – I was being so stretched, uh, but I was loving it. I mean, like, the chance to, to get this. And they were, they were about ready to do a reading – and so this was uh, the first round of auditions. Like the, 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 the first round, uh, the last call of the first round. And I'm, perf- I'm, I'm, I'm doing my scenes and I'm doing my songs. And I leave and I don't hear anything for like a week. 
and I'm on tour in um, St. Louis with New York City Ballet. And I text Chris and I say, hey, like I poured everything in that audition. Can, I, can at least somebody just let me know what happened, what's happening? He calls me and he says, we went with just an actor for the reading. We're, we're, we're going to, you know, there's, there's a lot we need to figure out for this role and how this is gonna work. But a reading is to understand the script. So, and I was like, well, what, what do you mean about the future of it? And he goes, I think for you, just like focus on your dancing, just, just focus on your dancing. And I said to him, I can do this. I have the work ethic and I have the desire to figure out how to make this happen. You just gotta give me a chance. And he goes, I hear you. I hear you, Rob. I hear you. So the reading happens and then I don't hear anything. You know, I'm just focusing on my dancing, but I'm taking acting and singing classes. <laughs> uh, and the, 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 the next rounds of auditions come along. And um, I made an impression on, I talked to Chris now. He goes, you really opened my eyes in that phone conversation when you vouch for yourself. And I was like, I've never, ever done that. But I knew, I knew I could do this. So cut to being in the studio with him for the final audition. I did my songs. I did my, uh, my scenes. And at this point, your songs are from An American in Paris. You're singing. Yes. Okay. And what did they have you, what were your songs then? What were you Liza. singing? Liza, um, which is the solo that he sings um, with her at the Seine. And they went really well, I think. And then they said, okay, we're going to have you guys dance. I was wearing like jeans and I didn't bring any dance shoes. So I'm doing, I was like, Chris, you want me to, like, I, of course I'll, I'll dance for you. But like, I wasn't prepared because I didn't think we were going to have to do that. So here we go into the studio and I like, I'm learning the, the routine in the other studio in my socks and jeans dancing with tight jeans dancing with this gorgeous <laughs> tight jeans dancing with tight this jeans. gorgeous woman from london uh, -huh. uh leanne cope and we get in there and we kind of nailed it i was like well if if the singing and the scenes didn't go well at least i've got at least i've got the dancing we turned it out so i was getting thrown on to the prince in sleeping beauty injury uh -huh. and i wasn't even learning it and they said, Robbie, you have to learn it. And this is in three weeks. So this is my, the next day after my audition is my dress rehearsal on stage. I leave, I'm, I get done with the first act and I go upstairs, freshen up, um, change my costume. And I listen to a voicemail, which I have Ooh. saved that I can play for oh. you. Oh, I love So this it. is at intermission of my first dress rehearsal as the, Prince and Sleeping Beauty. Oh, I'm sorry. I think I called the phone, the wrong phone. I'm actually trying to reach Jerry. Um, is Jerry there by any chance? I... Hi, Rob. Me. Um, listen, it's yours if you want it. We um, are all really excited about you and um, want to go further with this. So you and I need to have a very serious conversation. Um, give me a call 
uh, when you get this message. I'm in a meeting this afternoon, and then I'm actually going to the Joyce tonight. So um, it might be a little bit uh, a little bit phone tag, but we should definitely talk um, before this evening. Okay? So when you get a chance, I know you're busy too. I know you're in rehearsal, but give me a call back. All right, Rob. Talk to you later. Bye. That is so nice. Yeah, to to have that moment. He said that it's yours if you want it. And I was like, yeah. And the serious conversation was leaving New York City Ballet for a year. Right. So that's, I wanted to, did they know you were auditioning? Sort of what is the, what are the rules around if you are City Ballet, you're a principal at this point, right? Are you allowed to audition? For, um, for, for Broadway? or No, if you don't get it, then you've basically told your boss you're looking for work elsewhere hmm. without having gotten the job. So right, I didn't right. tell him. I didn't tell my boss until I got the job and said, look, I love dancing here, but this is like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be Gene Kelly on Broadway. Yeah. Um, in a new musical, making a new musical. And uh, he... At this point, we didn't know if it was going to go to Broadway. Like, this was just for the workshop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was like, it's just five, it's just six weeks. I'll just miss Nutcracker. Like, it's okay. You've got a lot of people to do the Nutcracker. And he came and saw me in the workshop of it. And he just came up and he touched my face and he goes, well, I'm sad because I'm going to lose you. You were mm. so good. And to have that kind of relationship with him, I, you know, he was, he was so wonderful to me. I, I asked him, you know, I still want to dance here when I'm done with, when I'm done with Broadway, like the show, is there a world where like, I can still have like the same roles. And he said, okay, if you make a presence for yourself in every ballet season, I think that I mm. think that we can arrange for it to be as close to as what you remember your role is looking like. Oh God! So the cut to having to scale back from eight shows a week on Broadway to six, and then on my Wednesday evenings and my Saturday matinees, I would that I was off from an American in Paris. I would have to go and dance at New York City Ballet. Oh wow! When so uh, so you get this phone call. Let's just. So you get this phone call. You're Jerry, right? Yeah. Is Jerry there? Yeah. Um, it's yours if you want it for the workshop. Yes. And then, and then when do you all hear that American in Paris is going to Broadway? A year later. A year later. A and year you- later, we have another workshop and we find out that we're going to Paris. Oh, that's right. It went to Paris first. Yeah. Oh, we knew, we knew the workshop. Okay. So we did the workshop. And then, like, six months after that, we found out that it was happening. Okay. And that we were going to Paris. We were going to Broadway. So this was, like, the workshop, like, prepping the show to then tape it to Paris and tech. Um, so we opened in Paris, which is so wild. Yeah. So wild. What amazing research to be an American in Paris. And uh, I'll never forget, there's a, there's a scene where... Um, Jerry and Lise uh, fall in love down by the Seine. So the Chatelet is on the Seine. Mm-hmm. So I took a croissant and a, and a coffee before the show and just sat while the sun was setting and just planned out where Lise was going to come down, 
where mm-hmm. we were going to dance, what I was going to be looking at, mm-hmm. what I was sketching before she came, and then getting to go into that theater like out like an hour later and getting to look at that blank black canvas mm-hmm. and just see what I had seen mm-hmm. down on them was yeah. magical. Mm. Oh, so magical. Cut to, you know, um, we open on Broadway, which was so wild. Yeah. How long did the show play in Paris before it moved to Broadway? Uh, I think we had like a month of shows. Mm. Oh, okay. So that's good practice. And then you go into previews on Broadway. Yeah, previews on Broadway. And we opened right at that Tony Hustle time. So mm. yeah. I was just so scared that I was, I didn't want to mess up. And I was performing like, Mm. just just don't screw up mm-hmm. uh-huh. and that's not that doesn't really fuel creativity but like I was singing and acting on stage for the first time in my life I've spent 12 years at the New York City Ballet voiceless yeah. and then you put me on stage and you mic me up and mm-hmm. then and then I have to dance really hard and then five six seven eight break into song I wasn't that trained right. and knowledgeable to know all the things that I needed to do so that my voice wouldn't crack so that, you know, there were You moments, wouldn't be panting. Yeah. Yeah, there were right. moments on stage right. on Broadway yeah. where like, yeah. like I'm learning on the yeah. job yeah. in front of paying, a paying audience. Yeah. So you open for, you know, you've got the times that comes to review it. So there's the pressure to nail it. Do you know it, the night that the, the, the big critics come? Do, you do know. Yeah, you have a you have a sense, mm-hmm. and then right after we opened, all the Tony voters were there. Mm-hmm. Then there were the Tony nominating committee. Then the Tony voters. Then the Tony. So it was like it did not stop being the most stressful thing in the world until until the Tonys were over in mid June. So, so Robbie, speaking of the Tonys, then so you're on stage, you're doing your song and dance, literally, figuratively, and you know that Tony voters are in the audience. Are you thinking to yourself, oh my God, I I could be nominated for a Tony? Or were you thinking, oh, the show could be nominated for a Tony? The show could be nominated. Here I am, just like my voice is cracking. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just trying to I'm trying to stay on pitch. Right. Like I know I'm I know I'm killing the dancing. Like at least I have like if I had a bad song, I would turn it up that much harder in the dance because yeah. I was like, I got to make up like yeah. people are paying to see this. Yeah. Like I got to step it up. Uh, <laughs> I always had that to rely on. Yes. A big finish. A big finish. Mm-hmm. The, at least they could go, Oh, that's why he got correct. correct. <laughs> Look at that leap. I mean, he yeah, cracked yeah, four notes, like but my butt, yeah. you know, and Robbie, I mean, you, you were a performer basically, you know, your whole life. How, I mean, it was it the the singing and the acting that made this feel so different, or is is a Broadway performance just radically different from a a ballet performance? Opening up your mouth on stage is like your um, your soul, your the things that you can hide in in a tondu, in a saute, you, it's like your body, it's not like you can, it's not like your body can lie, but you can hide a lot of things that you're going through personally. Mm-hmm. And when you're on stage and you're vocalizing, it is 
it is the vulnerable parts of your person of your human coming out it's your it's it's your sound it's your your thoughts it's your ideas Mm -hmm. it's so much of you and you know i had i had tried to run away from being myself for so long and night after night after night in order to do an authentic performance you just start peeling all the way the layers like an onion just getting further and further and deeper and deeper to to stay authentic you find different ways to connect to the person that you're supposed to fall in love with every night and so that was really uh emotionally taxing Mm -hmm. and, and vulnerable to be doing that in front of so many people Go back to the what you were saying about being, you know, you were struggling with like sort of your authenticity. What were you struggling with? What were you? Oh, yeah. Like, what were you oh. dealing with? Like, what are these layers? I'm a, I'm from Salt Lake City. I did not want to be gay, and that was that was really really difficult to deal with. Um, you know, I felt like that spotlight was just shining so bright on me. And the more and more, the deeper I got, it's it's like when I left the ballet, I felt like I felt my wings flap. I felt mm-hmm. like I started to fly. When you gave me that microphone, when you let me sing, when you let me, I felt like I was like, oh, this is who I am. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so to, to, to do that in front of people was just so exposing. Mm-hmm. And look, I'm, I'm playing a straight character, but mm-hmm. I'm having to go really, really deep into love. Mm-hmm. You know, you do a show 350 times and you're looking at that same person and you go, okay, we got to get like, we got to turn some stuff out. How do yeah. I go? Deeper? How do I go deeper? And that's getting more in touch with, your own heart and how it relates to somebody else's, how it, how it beats, what makes it flutter. So to, to be realizing that on stage is really wild. And that I think was the most exhausting part of it. Was mm. like, I thought my whole world was going. <sighs> but I wonder also like for the audience, you know, that sort of personal unraveling or, or sort of, discovery like how did that present itself in your performance i bet it made it more i think people could really see you like see inside you and see what you were going through it must have come through i mean how how does it not come through right if it's on your mind all the time yeah i think you know if you went to like the first preview and then you saw the last show yeah you know and i hadn't even fully come out yet i wasn't i wasn't out until um i went to do the show in, in london and getting to getting to do that role like out mm-hmm. was so special. Getting well, that's to back, the ultimate freedom, right? Uh, getting to getting to go back to the New York City Ballet for my last performance. I had two. I was like, Peter, I'm. I think I'm done dancing ballet. I had just done. Um, I just finished an American in Paris in London, and then booked Oklahoma in London at the BBC mm-hmm. Proms. And I was playing Will Parker and I got off stage and I had so much fun. I was like, I got to leave the ballet. I got to do more of this. This is it. So I called Peter and was like, I got to, I got to make an exit. And he said, you're the youngest principal dancer to ever retire from the company. I was like, a good thing (laughs) or a bad thing. Uh, And I'll never forget getting to do my favorite ballet one last time. And what was that? 
duo concertant. Mm-hmm. So Stravinsky, uh, Balanchine, uh, ballet, where two um, people, uh, a man and a woman, stand next to a piano and a violinist, and they mm. watch them play, and then they go out and dance, and then they come back and forth, back and forth, and it's such a shared moment on stage. I'll never forget the curtain rising on my last show and just hearing the applause start and having it like holding onto the piano and like my partner grabbed my hand and um, I like I bowed my head because I was getting emotional Mm. and then like I looked up and I kind of like looked at the audience I was like okay we got to start we got to start and then they stopped clapping and the music started and it was just magical to be me on that stage and I had struggled for so long Mm -hmm. you know Robbie you said the other day that Broadway auditions are like radically different than dance auditions and now you now that we know that you've you've had some TV auditions as well talk about that what what were the differences and I know that broad the Broadway audition made you super super nervous why is that I'm a perfectionist and here I am faking like I'm I can be the lead in a Broadway show. Like like that I can hold my own next to Brandon Uranowitz and Max von Essen in a song. That they've been training their whole lives to do this. And you know, I'm a hard worker, but you can't make up for that many years. So it was wanting to pay respect to the art form that I love so much as an audience member and not thinking that like, Oh, I can do that. But I, I love going to Broadway shows. Mm. I I'm so mesmerized by the talent. I'll never forget going to see hair seven times because I just couldn't believe the talent on that stage and Mm. the freedom. And to think that I should be so like bold enough to like be auditioning for the lead in a Broadway show. I'd put a lot of pressure on myself and, and to open my mouth and sing after they heard Brandon and Max, I'm like, Mm. who am I thinking that I can do this? And granted, you know, you're the, you're the, you're the dancer in the show. But, um, that was, that was so stressful to me, Mm -hmm. you know, as it, it, a perfectionist. Is it still stressful for you when you go out for Broadway roles? Do you still feel that insecurity that your voice might not be as trained or it might not be as good? Your acting chops aren't as good. Do you still have that fear? Of course. But I think that's what every artist has. And I think when you think that you're good enough, that's when, that's when it's over. Mm. That's when, that's when the ego kicks in and you stop working hard and you stop. It's like, um, in dance, we call it brushing your teeth. Mm. Like ballet class every morning is like brushing your teeth. Mm-hmm. It's, maintenance. it's making sure that everything's there. And yeah, it's really easy to get complacent and, and comfortable once you've, once you've made it. Mm-hmm. But if you've got that whole drive in you that goes, that could have been better, that could have been, mm-hmm. been better. Still validating who you are and the goodness that you're bringing but knowing that there's there's always something to fix. Mm-hmm. Robbie, thank you for for doing this and sharing, you know, the story, I mean the sort of story from City Ballet to an American in Paris and and also listening to that voice message. I think that's, that special? that's really Well, I think it's for everyone 
listening to this, that's, that's the moment, right? Right. And you like play that message and it can go either way. And you sort of hear that one moment. And I think it makes us all realize really what you all experience, the sort of, the sort of waiting and the anxiety and the fear. And then that moment, it sort of all goes away and becomes something else. So thank you for sharing that with us. And my pleasure. I mean, can you imagine going downstairs onto the stage and doing your second act after having gotten that phone call? No, I bet you were awesome. I, was I bet you were soaring <laughs> higher than you've ever soared before. You hit the ceiling. Yeah, but also like, oh my God, my boss is going to kill me. <laughs> Thanks for having me, you guys. How much do we love Robbie Fairchild and that incredible story? I am completely blown away and captivated by his evolution. I mean, what an incredible talent. You know, he is a magic person. And what is so incredible is how he finds so many ways to take his talent and make so many people happy. You think about that rooftop series he did during lockdown. And then he went on to become a florist with a booming floral business during the pandemic and created jobs for out of work actors and performers. The fact that he did all this and is continuing to do it as he is dancing and, and booking jobs I, is just so incredible to me. It's so generous. I, I couldn't agree more. He's incredibly full of life and his flowers are absolutely beautiful. So for the listeners who are interested in learning more about that beautiful story, the Instagram handle for his flower business is at Bouquet NYC. And of course he spells it a little bit different. It's at B-O-O-K-A NYC. As we say, bouquet, okay? Ah! Also, you know, <laughs> one of the arrangements is called the dancer, which I love. Yes. And be sure to follow us too. After you follow Bouquet, follow us. The Audition on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And please join us next time. We have a very exciting guest. The Audition is produced by Rob Corso, Casey Kahn, and Howie Kahn at Freetime Media, along with me, William Lee. And me, Staline Volandis. Special thanks to James Adams, Lauren Tappan, and Scott Pask. And to Justin Robertson for the show's art. That's squigs, to be clear. <laughs> Martini. Always. Cheers. <laughs>